When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative tribe. Mmm, spicy. (laughs) This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello. I just wanted to welcome you to the show and tell you a little bit about myself so I'm not just like some random lady talking to you. I am a creative. These days, I'm a podcaster. I'm a podcast producer. I produce the Goop podcast, Girlboss Radio, Meaningful Conversations with Maria Shriver, and a couple other exciting ones coming down the pipeline. I also am a singer-songwriter and a sag after actress. I took a very windy, twisty path, but every single aspect of it has been creative and I've had to reinvent myself a bunch of times. But what I've really come to believe over these past few years, especially these past few months, is that a lot of the world's suffering comes from repressed creativity. And I just realized that if we can even find more creative ways to deal with the mundane tasks of life, like even as disgusting as like picking up dog shit, like there's a creative way to do that. And so I wanted to talk to people about how to approach life more creatively, how to to make creativity your filter through which you put every single action in your life through. Because if nothing else, it's just going to be more fun. And I just don't think that any of us should die with our music still in us. And I didn't make that up. I mean, would have loved to, but that was a quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer, one of my favorite spiritual teachers. I want to bring you guests ranging from actresses to accountants who have creative yet legal ways of looking at a tax return and getting the most amount of money back to lawyers, to entrepreneurs, to musicians, to writers, to even stay-at-home moms who have a different approach to child-rearing. What I'm saying is that there's artistry and there's creativity to all these different things. And maybe you've never viewed yourself that way before, but I know that you are creative. And so I want to help you own that label and figure out a more creative way to approach everything in your life and also figure out a way out of fear because fear is the biggest, am I going to say it? I'm going to say it, motherfucker around. And it's what keeps us from doing all of the things in our life that we know we're meant to do. It creates resistance. It creates self-doubt. It creates all of the bad qualities and experiences in life. I believe fear is the root of all evil. So I want to help us all, me included, because fear has been a big part of my life growing up Italian Catholic, let me tell you. I want to give us all tools on how we can get out of a place of fear and come from a place of faith and love and positive emotions. And it's not always easy, and that fear is going to keep creeping back in, but we can at least have tools to kind of put up a block between us and the fear voice. Let's get into it. Let's figure out how to unleash our inner creative. And thank you for coming with me on this journey. I hope that we can be friends, and I hope that I can be your sort of creativity coach and guide you through this process. And I just want to say I believe in you. So let's do it. Here we go. Jen Gotch is an entrepreneur, mental health advocate, writer, podcaster, 
and one of the most creative people I know. Though Jen runs a multi-million dollar lifestyle brand, shout out to Bandeau, she's had a very twisty and dare I say creative way of getting there. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to share her with you, to show that creative success stories come in all shapes, sizes, and lengths. She's inspiring to those of us who are or probably will be late bloomers. Growing up, it wasn't like where I ever thought I'm a creative person, although I was totally creative as a kid. And I don't even think really realized that creativity was a thing until college. And even then didn't do anything about it. I wasn't like, oh, I'm creative. I should have a creative career. And then I think now, so many years into like almost 20 years into like one version or another of a creative career, I think it's like when you crack that door open there's a lot in there. Jen spent a bulk of her 20s figuring out her mental health, finally discovering, with a therapist's help, that she had bipolar disorder, anxiety, and ADD. She's now a mental health advocate and works every day to destigmatize the conversation around mental health. She's known for her very open and honest Instagram stories where she shares all of her ups and downs. From panic attacks, to bouts of depression, to business triumphs, to trash dancing, where she shows off her best dance moves in front of dumpsters. It sounds weird, but it's strangely uplifting. Jen's vulnerability makes everyone feel more okay to feel what they're feeling. When it comes to career, Jen has had jobs ranging from serving buttermilk at an old folks' home, to being an extra 90210, to food and prop styling, to freelance photography and blogging. Looking back, probably the thing I felt the most was like just this immense pressure to grow up, to figure it out, to have financial stability, to like decide what my life, my whole life was going to be. It wouldn't have even mattered if I had decided. I would have changed my mind 17 times. I already have. I'm 47. I'm pretty sure in three years I'll have a completely different life than I do now. And it's like how it should be. When she was 36, she co-founded Bandeau and went from making a couple of custom one-of-a-kind hair accessories to collaborating on a line with the one and only T-Swift, Taylor Swift, to selling the company and expanding into what it is now. These days, Jen serves as the chief creative officer of Bandeau, which is now a multi-million dollar lifestyle brand that creates and creates products to inspire joy. And that they do. In addition, she is currently writing her first ever book, and you know that page flipper is going to be lit. Is that how a young person would say it? Anyway, it's going to be a good book. Jen and I met through her podcast, Jen Gotcha's OK Sometimes, which I produce. The show is currently on hiatus, but there are a ton of amazing episodes on everything from emotional eating to business to self-doubt. I highly recommend it to any creative. Jen and I sat down at her house in early February 2019 with her dog, Phil, and her cat, Gertie, who you'll hear us reference throughout. They're really cute. From this conversation, you'll hear tips on how to make it through your 20s, the importance of claiming the word creative, and how mental health and creativity are intertwined. Now get ready to hear from the one and only Jen Gotch. I wanted to start out by asking, what do you think makes someone creative? Mm. Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, I feel, I don't know that there's something that makes you creative. Like it certainly feels like it stems from how you approach ideas and your thinking. And so, you know, you think about like right brain or left brain people. I actually am not 100% sure that everyone has creativity. I would imagine that within humans, there's like different levels of it. I probably just has to do with like how it's inspired. Like I know for me, we've talked about creativity a lot, but I know for me growing up, it wasn't like where I ever thought like I'm a creative person, although I was totally creative as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think really realized that creativity was a thing until college And even then didn't do anything about it. I wasn't like, oh, I'm creative. I should have a creative career. I, you know, it's like you didn't know. And then I think like now so many years into like almost 20 years into like one version or another of a creative career, I think it's like when you crack that door open, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot in there. But the short answer is I feel like it probably has something to do with like your thought process and how you approach things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when I, at least when I'm thinking about people that are, that are less creative, I think they tend to be really linear and like 
not subjective. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like they like like right or wrong and where it's like there's more fluidity. So that's interesting. I think like creativity even exists in those linear minded people. It's just not the way you would normally think of it. Like my example is they they took all these different accountants mm. and they looked at mm. the same tax return and uh. the same accountant that like had one person paying like six thousand yeah, dollars yeah. got another person a refund of three thousand yeah. yeah so like within the law I need, can I have that yeah accountant's number definitely I think it was in Forbes I'll get you the article <laughs> I feel like I know about creative accounting no that that makes sense like I do because we talk a lot at work about like creative problem solving and mm-hmm. and certainly I guess when I think of creativity I think of it on like the far end of the spectrum of like where people really identify as creatives right but yeah certainly it probably just has to do with how it's fostered and maybe maybe that person I mean like I think about my dad he's creative but you would he's a podiatrist yeah like it wasn't like I always identified my mom as being the creative one because she was like she designed jewelry and then she was an interior decorator and but my dad is super creative but it's just like what his job was or yeah, I think there's so many different ways to express it. And I think you brought up something interesting, was which was that when you were younger, you didn't really claim the word. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until you were about what? I think probably in my 20s. In your 20s yeah. that you finally claimed the word. What did claiming the word do for you and open up for you? It expanded what the options of what I could do for a living. Because I think prior to that, I don't know, I don't don't think I even understood about like creative lines of work. You know, you sort of, I mean, at least for me, because I'm older, so there was no internet, like there wasn't a way to Google, like, what is creativity or what, what, you know, so it was like you knew about like doctor, lawyer, teacher, business person, and you sort of knew there were artists, but it wasn't until I moved out to California that I realized like there are all these behind the scenes people on television shows. BTS. Yeah, BTS. <laughs> and like food stylist or, you know, so mm-hmm. it empowered something mm-hmm. to say like, okay, I'm creative. So that actually means I can do all this other stuff. Like I don't have to feel like relegated to be a pharmaceutical sales rep or something. Yeah. And I think too, there's a thing where like if a kid didn't have that encouragement toward creativity in their childhood, I feel like that's like a bigger hill to get up in your adulthood. Yeah. How do you recommend somebody who is in that place get over that obstacle, like their early childhood programming? I mean, I think, you know, so much of what I attribute to personal growth is like being self-aware. And for me, it wasn't necessarily that my upbringing didn't, wasn't like there was something stifling about it. I just think like my parents wouldn't have known to, to name that either. Like I was definitely a creative kid and like recording myself in, in my closet with a little cassette recorder. That's so cool. Yeah. Like I think it has to do with like understanding yourself and your passions and like letting, feeling comfortable, even Mm -hmm. if you don't know what that is. You know, I think that, and maybe that's changed. For me, it was just like, if it, you didn't see it in front of you, it was hard to even know what you needed to like allow yourself to do. I think it goes back to that owning the word thing. Like yeah. when you don't have a word for what's going on with you, well, whether it's, it's like good everything. or bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, which, you know, we'll get to your mental health advocacy because I think yeah. that is a huge part of unleashing your creativity yeah, as well. For sure. But when you don't know what, I mean, I didn't know I was a songwriter until I was 23 because totally. no one in my family knew what a songwriter was really, well, you know, yeah. like we didn't and have, we didn't think that was a possibility for us. That, But that's exactly right. And I think it, it, I think it's just like knowing too that it's like, you don't have to know that as a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't think, you know, I, I think very few people are from the time they're a small child know what they want to do and know what their calling is or what their passions are. And I think mm-hmm. like most people live their life and never identify that. So I think like I would guess that for most people it is in their 20s that they really start to like yeah. you grow up, you understand like your own self-concept, you're out of college, you, the world mm-hmm. is your oyster. Then it depends on like where are you living, who are you surrounding yourself with, what are you seeing? Um, at least thankfully now like – the world is so much smaller with the internet. That. Right. Okay. So you were talking about the 20s, mm. which the I like. The 1920s, the roaring 20s. Which they were great. I <laughs> love prohibition. <laughs> great times. So the 20s are so 
fucked up. Yeah. And nobody worst. warns you for it. I'm mm-hmm. I'm this is my last day of my 20s. I'm so excited. Tomorrow for you. I'm turning 30. Yeah. It's weird. I thought I would be super depressed. I did have one day where I had a yeah. panic attack on the 405 and I really should have pulled over. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God that there were good drivers around me because I was not one of them. <laughs> oh no. But other than that, I've been I've been weepy but like reminiscing about yeah. all the things I've made it through, all of the challenges, all the beautiful points. If you could go back and tell your 20-year-old self anything, like give her any kind of warning yeah. or, or advice, <laughs> <laughs> what would you say and why? And like how can how can people, especially creative people in their 20s, make it through? I, when you think about the 20s, because for most of us that means like you're still in college, then you're like of drinking age, mm-hmm. then you could maybe go through that phase, then you graduate off and you have no idea what you're going to do. It's not, I mean, at least for me, it wasn't like I didn't get a job because I changed mm-hmm. my mind on what my career path was going to be. And there's so much potential for transition. Plus, you're growing up like you're really growing up like more than any other decade in your life. I feel like there's you think about from 20 to 30 like how different and I don't think I think any 10 years in your life like sure for me 30 to 40 was big I'm sure 40 50 will be big I feel like the one thing that I would have loved to know is like that to take the pressure off of Mm -hmm. this idea that you have to figure it all out you have to get married like that there's this timeline that you're up against that isn't real and and that, and some of that might be different now, but I think it still very much exists. It's just in a more quiet way. Yeah. Okay. And I think that the things that we're measuring ourselves up against are like l- sometimes people, yes, with the marriage thing, but like more so for me, I was comparing myself to other people's careers. Yeah. For all sure. throughout my 20 and making myself miserable because I was comparing myself. I'm like, okay, well, they did it by 28. So if I don't do it by 28, yeah. I'm a bad person. Yeah. Or you're behind or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think it's like, I mean, everyone's journey is different. And so I I feel like looking back, probably the thing I felt the most was like just this immense pressure to grow up, to figure it out, to have financial stability, Mm -hmm. to like decide what my life, my whole life was going to be. And it's like, it wouldn't have even mattered if I had decided. I would have changed my mind 17 times. I already have. I'm 47. I'm pretty sure in three years I'll have a completely different life than I do now. And isn't that exciting? Yeah. And it's like how it should be. You know, I feel like the people I know that are locked into what they thought, all the decisions they made, the major decisions that they made like in their mid-20s, early mid-20s, it's like a lot of them are struggling now, Mm -hmm. you know, because you change. So I think I would say like, try and remove some of that pressure that mm-hmm. it can come, you know, at any time. I think I was like 36 when I started Bandel. So it's like I look at entrepreneurs now and they're like 23 and millionaires. And I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. I'm not Enjoy. mad. I'm not mad. No, I, I think that for me, the thing I've kind of come to realize and and say about myself is that there's a lot of power in being a late bloomer. Yeah. There's a lot of buildup. And I think that late bloomers have something special to say that people who are 23 who are amazing and doing great things won't have the same perspective because they didn't go through all of that pain and suffering. Yeah. I was just going to say pain and suffering as awful as it is, I would say there's always a payoff Mm -hmm. in that. And so, I mean, the older you get, the more wisdom you have if you're paying attention. So there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to use that to your advantage. Definitely. It's all you have when you get older. It's just wisdom. Wisdom. (laughs) I've got a pile of wisdom and nothing else. (laughs) I may have these wrinkles, but I'm wise. (laughs) Oh, you look like you're 25. That's nice. You're not close enough to me if you were right up on my (laughs) – I saw a video today and I was like, okay. Okay, girl. Cool. (laughs) <laughs> you're a lady you are i'm a i'm a, a very <laughs> fancy lady. lady so you were talking about starting bando you were 36 mm-hmm. you've talked a, a lot about this it's it's a really pretty incredible story mm-hmm. and amazing what you have done with that company i'm a huge fan i sometimes mm-hmm. think like maybe you did your podcast as a big ploy to get me to like <laughs> buy more things for we needed more we needed more sales One and i'm like person. i know how to do it because <laughs> i i love it and i'm obsessed and it has made me so happy and and knowing you in general has made me feel that way and the company's a beautiful extension of that but you've talked a lot about 
how you had an idea and a vision, but you didn't have like a business plan Mm -mm, written out. mm -mm. What do you think the advantages are to going in sort of blind like that? And what are the disadvantages? Well, I mean, I would say the biggest advantage is you have no idea what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't have probably like the stress and fear of someone who actually understands that the odds are stacked against you mm-hmm. and the commitment it's going to take. And so, you know, we didn't really have any of that because like we certainly had a vision, but it wasn't a vision for what it ended up being. It was just like, we just wanted to try and like make something and make stuff and, and sell it. So I think like not being hampered by that was really beneficial. And, and also like you kind of get to go with your gut. Cause I notice even now, you know, sometimes what I can bring to the table, in, even in a business sense, is is like because I'm not relegated to things I learned in business school. I'm just like, what if we did this? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think like all of that was positive. I mean, all of that would be the negative too, you know, right. because you don't know. So it's like I had a lot of financial trouble because I didn't know, you know, I right. underestimated because like had someone been able to like, if we had a plan or if we were like, this is what it's going to take, I could have been more strategic about what I was doing. So I think it serves both. And it's hard either way, knowing or not knowing. Yeah, it's true. I, I always say the best thing and the worst thing about you are usually the same. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of degrees. You know, <laughs> <laughs> It's whether they're positively or negatively activated. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, your expressions of who you are are activated by something like some emotion or some interaction. And I think if it's like coming from a positive place or it's an, a positive thing, then the positive side of that of you manifest manifest. Yeah. And if it's like, if you're triggered that, you know, like excitement can become anxiety. Right. You know, so it's just like different ends of the spectrum. But I, at least I think for me, like, cause I agree that like, my personality traits are great and awful, just depending on like how I get to my expression of them. Right. And and speaking of anxiety, you are an amazing advocate for mental health. I know you've affected so many people. You've affected me so positively mm-hmm. because you've allowed me to be a lot more honest about who I am, what I'm going through, the good and the bad. That's good. I really appreciate that. Now, how for you, for you yourself as a creative, how did really acknowledging what was going on with you with your mental health help expand your creativity and what do you hope to do to help others do the same? I went for a long time not acknowledging it and not knowing what was going on and it was in my early 20s that I had like my first diagnosis and that didn't really coincide with my creativity. I think that for me, just in the same way that we're saying naming creativity, like Mm -hmm. to have a name that went alongside a feeling was really helpful for me to feel like it, it was real. Like I, you know, I mean, that's the thing with mental health. Yeah. Or you just feel like, I mean, there's no real proof. So it's not like you're bleeding. So I feel like that helped. I think the, I, I think my, mental health issues are actually probably what helped my creativity because like being bipolar, I mean, you have highs and lows and the highs can be, um, you get like a rush of ideas, you can get really impulsive, a lot of things that have always fueled my creative pursuits. So if I was like just leveled off all the time or just super sad, I wouldn't be able to do that. And if I wasn't anxious, then I probably wouldn't be hyper-focused on getting something right and triple-checking things and making sure it's great. So I think it's helped me along the way. So I don't know that it was like a catalyst for creativity, but I think it's I can tie things that have happened to me positively in my life that were due to something that was quote-unquote wrong with me. But I would say, I mean, I would say for anyone, creatives or not, to figure out how to use that to your advantage and, you know, rather than feeling like now you've been burdened. And I would say, especially with creatives, I mean, there's so much oftentimes like pain and suffering behind creativity and it's just um, a way, like an expression of that, that it's like maybe you use it to your advantage and you don't, I mean, you have to let it out. That's what creating is anyways, you know, it's like you're putting something out. So I don't know. I think they help each other. Yeah, definitely. I think they can go hand in hand. Like if somebody is in the middle of a deep 
depression or just a really painful time in their life and they're feeling creatively blocked because of it. What are some ways out of that? I try to understand my limits and not, I think there's a time to push through and then there's absolutely a time to just like be like, now is not the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes our, it's like our inclination is like, I'm just going to push through this. Right. And like, like, what I'm does that even so, mean? It's, you know what? I, I, I actually think it's a hard thing because depending on like your constitution, sometimes you do have to push yourself a little bit harder than you're right. willing to. But then sometimes like that's the absolute worst thing that you can do. And I know for me, if it's like a depressive episode, there's not going to be anything that I can do. And so I think as far as mental health goes, the more you know about specifically what your issues are, it was helpful for me, like to at least understand like these are the symptoms and like there's actually things you can do. Sometimes getting your mind off things does alleviate it. And then sometimes it's like that's not way a way to solve a mental health issue, you know, and then also just understanding the difference between like situational depression versus like chemical. Yeah, Yeah. It's like they're different ways. You know, I feel like lately I've been really, really sad and it's been really hard for me because it's not depression. And like, if you give me depression, I know exactly what to do with it. Like I've so trained in that, but I haven't spent, I mean, in the last 15 years, I haven't spent long periods of time being sad, like genuinely sad. And I was like, I I actually don't know what to do. And because I'm in the middle of like a huge creative project, it's like I actually do have to find a way to like literally put it in a drawer for six hours a day and then come back to it at the end of the day, which probably isn't healthy. So that disregards everything, all the advice I just gave. (laughs) Well, I feel like, you know, we all have to be hypocrites sometimes. Yeah. It's the only way to survive. But like, what are some ways that you are managing to put it in a box? Because if someone's depending on their creativity for their life and they're, they're situationally sad about something, yeah, how do you do that? To get through, I can have like a very soldier like brain, but I think just like bi- I know it's like a giant muscle. I feel like it's like this, it's like The Rock, but in my brain, but I not The Rock, the actor, The Rock, the actor, great friend um, of mine, JK, <laughs> ditto. Um, no, so I think like for me, it's like I, it's literally like. I always think of it I, – I don't know why. I think it was in the movie Dangerous Liaisons that probably no one listening to this <laughs> But there was like – I can't remember which character it was, but she would like – she like stuck a fork in her leg. Oh, fuck. And then like to challenge herself to like not show the pain above the table. And this also could be from some other movie and I've just attributed it to Dangerous <laughs> Liaisons. But I think about that a lot because I think that's essentially – it's like – Metaphorical forks. Yeah, folks. metaphorical forks in my actual leg. Um, <laughs> no, like just I don't think that there's I don't think that there's anything healthy that I do to fix it because I think mm-hmm. the only healthy thing to do would be to just go through it, go through it. But like when you're being paid money to deliver something at a certain time and then you inconveniently become sad, you have to do whatever it takes. So maybe that's like having the beer. Yeah. Like what, you know, it's like whatever it takes. A nap. Yeah. I think a well-appropriated drink Mm -hmm. can do wonders, you know, if you don't have an issue with it. Yeah. I mean, even that's a slippery slope because if you have depression, it's like, I I think it's, but you know what the thing is, is like, I think it's good to know the pros and cons of everything. And then you have to figure out what's right for you at a certain time in your life, given the situation and what you have to do. And I, I mean, life is so complicated. So I don't think there's like something that's so prescriptive of like, this is what you should do. To me, it's like a constant exploration of what's going to work at any given time because it's different a lot. You change, the world changes, your situations change. So so it's like you have to go back to the drawing board. You've talked a lot about that at this point, about not being rigid, about yeah. being flexible. Obviously, you're, you're sticking to what you believe in, but you're flexible within those beliefs. Yeah. How important do you think that is to having a successful creative life? Oh, really important. I mean, creativity is so much about – Although I think it comes when it when you tie it to like a profession, I think Mm -hmm. it has to come with a lot of conviction. But I think you also have to be able to be really malleable and like adjust to situations. And there's always challenges in creativity. And it's again, like I was saying before, it's not like there's one solution. So you just have to figure it out. You know, crack the code. It's like 
you there's a hundred ways to solve it. There's a hundred ways to ruin it. I don't know. I heard this person recently say, do B minus work. Like mm-hmm. consistently put out I like that. B minus work. Because at least <laughs> you're getting something that. out there. No, you put out A work all mm-hmm. the time. But like even with this podcast, I waited so long and I went through so many iterations and I was like going through scenarios in my head and trying to make it perfect. And I realized at the end of the day, I just want to get my voice out there and I want to help some people. Yeah. That's well, and I think that you know we we were actually talking about that at Bando the other day, but I but it has to do, that also just has to do with perfectionism mm-hmm. and which is very dangerous yeah. to creation, yeah. And every pretty much everybody has yeah some some, some version some version of that, but I think it's like it is it is about finding a starting place and recognizing that that place will not be where you end up and will not be an A plus. I mean, if you start out of the gate on a new endeavor at an A plus, like you're winning. You're winning or you're losing because where do you have to grow? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that kind of pace. I don't know how you can keep that up. Yeah, you probably can't. You have to do other things. But I think it's like, I think especially when it's like project based stuff, it's like you, you do have to just like let go. I, mm-hmm. And I would say like creatively, Something that I would think would help, especially if it's like personal endeavors, Mm -hmm. is setting due dates, being like, no matter what, no matter where I am, like, okay, like, let's say you're going to do your podcast. If you're like, okay, I'm going to give myself three months of prep time for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And then no matter where I am at that three, I know, but I know you're right. You're right. I mean, the three months have come up a couple times though. That's the issue. I know, but that's what changed for me when I became like a professional creative Mm -hmm. there. There's like accountability. Like you have to deliver this at this day. Well, how do you scare yourself straight when you are the one that is creating your accountability? I don't know because I, I could <laughs> never do it without that. But like, I would – do. You, should you make yourself – I heard someone once say like you have to tell someone you're going to pay them on a certain day if you don't do something. Yeah, yeah accountability. Yeah. So finding whether it's like if you don't think you can hold yourself accountable, finding someone who will do that for you. Right. A friend or a relative or a stranger that you find on Craigslist. But then like, why are we motivated by fear? Why can't we just do things? Because we're just people. Ugh. You know. I'm so sick of being a person. I know. Tell me about <laughs> it. So I've thought about that a lot lately. I was like, I wish I could just be a dog. I was looking oh my at God. Phil, Phil and Phil I'm just amazing. like. Phil is amazing. Phil is Jen's dog and he's just, <laughs> what kind of dog is he? He's a mutt, but he, we think he's like a labradoodle terrier or something he's like he's just, just like, like a, a very bear. handsome boy yeah he, are his eyes blue no but they're like a light brown so oh. they look mm. like human boy eyes human boy it's very he wild he does look like a human boy that's also yeah. a teddy bear yeah no he's like a he's like a puppet but i was looking at him the other day in the depths of my sadness and after reading eight gazillion self-help books and i was just like I just kind of want to be a dog now. I don't want to do it. It's just too complicated to be a person. Like, I fought the good fight and just like, or a marshmallow or just like something that's not a person. Oh, a marshmallow sounds nice. Wouldn't so it be nice? Fluffy. Just sitting there in a bag with other marshmallows for your life. Hey, guys. <laughs> Except someone's going to eat you someday. Well, but then it'll be over. But we're going to die someday, yeah. too. So, yeah. I guess it's all the same. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, in summation, become a marshmallow. I'm kidding. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I don't know. It is so hard to be a person. What What do you do in those moments, though? Like, how do you keep going when you decided that it would be better to be a dog? Like, how do you decide to stay on this track? I will say, I mean, most of the things I would say involve like drugs or alcohol. So I Uh-oh. won't. <laughs> and I don't think that's a real solution. I yeah. think that's a Band-Aid. Temporary. But, but um, this is also kind of temporary. But I have found, I can't believe I've become the person that says this, but <laughs> I have found that like breathing does solve a lot of problems. What like, kind of breathing? So there's just like the normal, just like breathing so you don't die. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. That is true. It does solve a lot of problems. We're all doing it. Uh, Join us. <laughs> but no, I think it's like, I don't know what the name of the breathing is, but it's like where you sort of breathe in deep for four counts and like don't just breathe into your throat. I mean, you would know this because you're a singer, but like breathe actually in into your diaphragm. Into your diaphragm and then hold for four seconds and then exhale for four seconds. And I mean, sometimes I'll just do four of those and I'm like, 
completely centered. I actually feel like that helps at least like get you back into the moment and yeah, just, like, and, like get your body calm and and get realistic because I think a lot of times when we're in the throes of something we're just spinning. Yeah. And so it, I think for me, when I do breathe like that, yeah, not just normally, it does help me get back to reality. Like yeah. I have a tendency to be really dramatic about situations yeah. that really don't merit it sometimes. Totally. So I think that's a really good tip. Yeah. It's worked for me. I mean, I, I'm sure it's uh, advice my mom gave me 10 years ago that I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and just like all the advice she's given me has turned out to be spot on. You know, you've been really open about your divorce and mm. going through that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think a lot of people really appreciate it because a big breakup like that has a real ability to completely upheave your life and, mm-hmm. and your creativity. Okay. Liz asks a question. So Liz wants to know more about how you've regained your independence mm-hmm. and sense of self in the years following your divorce. She says she thinks she can apply this or anyone can apply this to someone going through a major life transition. I think because of my particular situation, like there were many years where our marriage wasn't really working. So I think I had divested early, mm-hmm. you know, so so I don't feel like I lost myself to the relationship in, in ways that you do. Like I'm sure at the beginning, like the first year I probably did and had something happened then, it would have been really disruptive. But I think regardless – my struggle was not like, how do I find myself again? I mean, mine was mostly just like logistically, how do I learn to truly be alone? Because I think I felt very alone in my marriage just because it wasn't working, but it was a complete, it's feeling alone and being alone are two different things. And like understanding like, it's just me and me now. And for the most part, I really enjoyed it. But I think the thing that I was, after like the first probably eight months of being completely self-destructive, I took ownership of my own healing and just put myself as the main focus. You know, that's what you have to do. It's, you know, we equate that to selfishness, but it wasn't like that. I didn't do it and hurt other people in the process, but I like made sure to take care of myself every day and like address the things that were wrong. So whether it was going to therapy or going to the doctor or figuring out a way to sleep better or whatever it was. I remember one of the girls at work was like, you need to have fun every week. It's still in my calendar. And this is years ago, Wednesdays from six to nine, it says have fun, you know? And so, and at that point I was, I just wasn't making any of that priority. So I literally like got a dog walker on Wednesdays and would go from work to like, whatever, go to a movie or go see a friend or. That's such an important tip, Jen, because that's something I've recently realized about myself is that I don't have fun. Yeah. And I love having fun. I love laughing hysterically yeah. and being a weirdo. Yeah. So you say the weekly date in three hours, does it have to be, can it be with yourself or someone else? Does it matter? Be whatever you want. Okay. I mean, it could be just going home and watching a movie. Like yeah. it doesn't, I think it's like not about what it is. It's just like. The intention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really do. And I don't, I don't, I usually just delete it off the counter now, <laughs> but I, I'm very conscious of not getting so swept up in like the demands of being a grown up and like work and work responsibilities and like, cause that's an endless flow. You're never going to get that done. So it was like, I think I was depriving myself of that. Cause like there's work to do. You know, there's and I always going to be more work to do. Totally. That's the thing. I had a doctor tell me that. I had a doctor actually. She was like, "Are you having fun? Are you having any fun?" I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "Like what kind of doctor?" Just like my general practitioner. I went in for blood work shortly after Andrew left because I just like was not well because right. I had just been I just wasn't taking care of myself. And she was like, "I would prescribe fun." Like, and she was like a very like serious doctor. She was like, you have to, but there are like endorphin, there's all sorts of things that happen in our brain and our body. So I was like, all right. Well, if the doctor says it, if my friend says it, I suppose Wednesdays will be for fun. (laughs) Running down the street naked and being like, doctor's orders. (laughs) Speaking of fun though, you talk a lot about the difference between being happy Mm -hmm. and being joyful Mm -hmm. and you say, choose joy. Mm Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, I think... And what is the difference? Well, okay. So the difference is happiness is is a lot of times like external or 
outcome dependent. So like this will make me happy. If this happens, I'll be so happy or like those things make me happy. And I think it's not that it's a negative thing, but joy is something that we come equipped with when we're born. It's a very internal thing that we actually like possess that in our purest form. So it's like being able to access your joy. So there may be external things that help you access that. But the key is like being able to like live with that inside of you and like recognize that it's there. So it's just a much more powerful version of happiness. Like to me, happy, fun, all of those things fall under joy and they may encourage joy. But like if you have a direct connection to your own joy, it just deepens that experience. Like, I think it's hard. I think it's hard. You know, a lot has to go right to be able, in, in this day and age as someone who's like, I know how to do it. And then like things turn around and go, go shitty. And then it's like, where, what? Well, I think that that's a, a good point, though, because no matter how much you understand something or even how much you've lived something, the fact is, if you're not vigilant about it, it can always yeah. go away. Yeah. Well, and like what we were saying, and I've I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and you know, I go to a Reiki healer and she's very enlightened and I've been kind of going on this path. But a thing that she reminds me about a lot is that we're humans. We're humans. You know, we may have a spiritual existence and a higher self and, you know, all of this pure, perfect things, but we're still human beings, flesh and bone, and we live on earth and we have iPhones and we have bills. And so it's like, If you're a monk and you've sworn off a lot of that and you have eight hours a day to be calm and not talk and think about joy versus happiness and, you know, how you're going to stay centered. I was just thinking about actually becoming a monk. I mean, I've considered it. I was like, if that's the solution, sign me up. (laughs) But I think it's just like, I do think it's a good reminder. And I feel like I've needed that a lot lately because I get very hooked on like I can fix this or I shouldn't have to feel this way or like I should just understand how to be joyful all the time or and it's like I think you're lucky in this life if you get clarity on that even for a moment and I think the idea of like being able to entertain those feelings in and amongst being triggered by something you see on Instagram is just like not possible because we're people right That's what I tell myself when I'm crying (laughs) (laughs) all the time. Oh, God. I love the thing, whatever it is, for any specific instance, that when you're in the middle of a big crying attack, Mm -hmm. gets you out of it. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like the thing that Mm -hmm. snaps you Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. What do you think that thing is and how does it do it? That's a good question. For me, sometimes I'll just get like hooked on a thought that like takes me out of because it's like I think sometimes crying is just such a release that you're not that you're like fueling it. But it's like a artificial, you know, like sometimes when kids cry and you're like, are you even really crying? Not that you're not really crying, but like you start getting in this like cyclical thinking of and then this and they just keep crying this is so awful I know there's like another part of my brain that's like trying to be like but look just think about this one other thing and then you're like it's like almost like you have you're asked to solve a math equation in the middle of it and you're like kind of take yourself out of it I mean that either it's usually for that it's either that or like I can't breathe anymore because my nose is so swollen and I'm like just put Enough. cold water on my face or, or I fall asleep or whatever it's been all sorts of things that have happened lately yeah Man, it's uh, cold water is a good one. Yeah, it really is, though. You don't have another human there to pull you out of it. Yeah, I mean, I would ask someone to punch me in the face if there was someone here because like, sometimes I just want yeah. that. Do you think that the sadness you're feeling right now is partly being brought up by what you are kind of excavating by writing? Yeah. yeah. I think I there's a lot of other things at play, but I would say that writing – because it's it is this emotional excavation that's also very solitary weakened me it's like i'm very raw i'm i'm not usually this raw as a person like your steak tartare yeah i'm like (laughs) cut open and then spread real thin on a plate yeah so i think it's i think it's like i'm just vulnerable right super vulnerable so things that probably wouldn't affect me as deeply there's like i'm like porous for that like it's just ready (laughs) What has tracing your life in that way taught you 
about yourself that you didn't know before? Like what's the overarching theme? You know, I think one thing that I've really come to realize is like a lot of the things that I feel like I just learned just thinking about like the universe and energy and optimism. I felt like those were newer revelations, but I look back at my journal from when I was in college and I was writing all, I just didn't, I didn't get there, but my, it's like my soul already knew all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think I, I think I've locked it in recently, so it only took like 27 years. <laughs> hey, I was like, like you said, if you figured out at all. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I feel really grateful, but it's been interesting to look back and be like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking these same thoughts. I've been like hooked on these ideas or these concepts for much longer than I thought. And I think actually more than anything else, it, it made me realize how important it is to keep a journal. Because it's like so – I mean, I started doing it again. I mean, I'm writing a book, but I'm also like keeping a journal on the side because I'm like – Oh, my gosh. Because I'm like, well, if I live another 20, 30, 40 years, like I want to – I won't remember this. Like I won't remember yeah. this. I've never actually like committed to writing a journal. Oh, you I've should. Done it and then I'll give up. Yeah. Well, I don't think you – I mean, I think like the idea of doing it every day is – for a select few, I but know. but then if I don't do it every day, I'm like, well, I should just stop. I know, but I think that it's all like, or nothing mentality. Though, I know, is like goes back to the perfectionist thing. Yeah, like you know, do B minus work, do a B minus journal. Well, that's what they're saying is like that person is saying like give yourself permission to mm -hmm. just like not be consistent or whatever. Like if you don't feel like journaling for two years, then don't. I mean, I'm doing it not because I'm like you should do this. This is your assignment. It's like. I realize it's like helping me solve a lot and then I know that I'm going – that I'll be interested in it later. Like I know right. it will help me now and it will help me later. So. And it will help you trace the lines of your life later down the yeah, road. Yeah, when I write something. another book. Exactly. <laughs> really, it's all for the second memoir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I don't know that anyone's ever written too, but maybe. Really? Well, I feel like you need to have one for your life this far, as Hillary Clinton put. Yeah, yeah. My life this far, yeah. which I did read. Yo, I haven't read that. Oh, yeah, maybe hello. I'll have a cliffhanger at the end. You should. And, and then what happened? Yeah. Your Phil. dog. Oh, Gertie just turned the TV on. <laughs> Phil wants his D-I-N-N-E-R. They're like, you know what I think is creative? HDMI 2. <laughs> do you know what's wild is like, how do they know what time it is? They can't see. Like, because this is follow their instincts. Yeah. That's that's my thing. Like animals follow their instincts. We're the only animal that goes against our instincts. Yeah. Because we have all of this other external information because we can read. and Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I want to talk about power colors because this is an idea you introduced mm, to me. And yeah. I think that... Okay, I wore nothing but black for many years. Yeah. And then I met you <laughs> and you started talking about power colors. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and you brought color back into my life. That's good. And it's been great. I, I love, I found green, love like a deep green, almost a teal. And I love blue. Yeah. And I got back to my childhood love of pink and purple. I guess I haven't found my power color yet. But anyway, could you explain what a power color is and how people can use them? Yeah. I mean, I am no expert on it, so I will explain to you what it means to me. Yeah. I mean, I equate it a lot to a color that I wear, but I don't think it has to be that. You know, it colors or, you know, evoke all sorts of different feelings in different people. Now, there are certain colors that are known to like relax you or stimulate you or make you hungry or, you know, whatever it is. But I think we all have a really emotional response to colors. And so for me, a power color is just that, like a color that makes you feel empowered or you just feel like the most you when you are either surrounded by it or wearing it. I've had lots of colors like that, but like I started like really gravitating towards yellow, like liking it every time I saw it. And then I like had something yellow and then I was wearing it. I just felt different in that color. And so I think it's I think it's just a good exercise in general because then you start to like you're saying, like you you kind of especially as you get older, I think we exhibit a lot of like self-limiting behaviors. Mm -hmm. And and so you forget that like there are these little cues out there in the world that can like make you feel certain things. And so I think it's just like a good way to be like I mean, for me with work, because we work so much with color, like I really started to understand like there are certain colors that make me 
angry. Like, <gasps> oh, like what? Like a wine, like a cheer wine, like a burgundy makes me really mad. Like they won't show it to me at work. They it's because it's like very on trend now. <laughs> and they're like, they, keep it away from. Our, I forget don't what show they, with the burgundy. They named it something to trick me, and I was like, you know, I can see though, right? And I was like, it's fine. It's just like it makes me really mad. Like I don't like how it makes me feel. Oh, that's a real thing. Yeah. It's like a good micro version of something as a creative you could you should do in lots of ways. It's like understand what inspires you, what empowers you, what doesn't, and do more of the positive ones and less of the negative ones. And it's like color is just one thing. It's like what music makes you – what's your power music? You right. know, it, it's a like – A power playlist. Yeah. No, but yeah. seriously. No, like I like beats difference. per minute. Like I like dance songs. Like On Sirius XM? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dunch, dunch. Like that to me – like there are certain songs I know if I put them on, I'm just like up. Yeah, and then there's some that like are beautiful songs, but w- won't put me in a mood to do something positive. Right, you have to be able to prime yourself. Yeah, when you're working, and because you are in such a creative field, do you design products there, or are Not you mostly anymore. approving? Yeah. Okay, so when you were back in the the phase of designing, mm-hmm. or even now when you're mm-hmm. approving, saying yes or no to something, are you thinking from the perspective of this is something I would want to see, or this is something that my customer would want to see? Mm. How are they different? How are they the same? They're it's definitely the customer at this point. It didn't used to be like that, but the inception of a product line or, you know, like I'll do the top level creative like this, this should be about joy and color and here and we're inspired by these flowers and this vintage car, you know, whatever it is. It's like you, you do this like top line creative. And so that would be born out of me and the other top level creatives at Bandel. And then you almost immediately start folding in like what has worked in the past and what does our customer want. And, and then from that point on, it's really led by the customer. And as a creative, that's hard to do. I mean, that's why creating for like commerce or for business is hard because you are relegated to making decisions, not just, you know, it's a very self-indulgent thing. Like designers, artists, it's like we're doing what we want to do. We're putting out what we want to put out. And so like in the early days, we were very insistent on like, this is what the design has to be. This is what we love. We know what's cool. And I think like what happens is, at least in my experience, it's like as the company grows, the audience grows, and then you attract, you know, certain types of people and they may not always align with what you want. And especially because like for us, like we're designers and we we live in LA and we see trends before they happen, but like we're selling to the world and they're not necessarily always on the same page, not in a bad way. So we let their tastes and what we think they're ready for lead the decision making. And once we made that pivot, it really changed. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, because prior to that point, the things that we forced through, cause we just wanted them like kind of from our like design egos very rarely worked. That's a good note. Yeah. It's important. I mean, I think like if you're an artist, you do whatever you want. I think if you're trying to sell your work or be paid for your creativity and it's like there's it's transactionary, then you have to consider the person who's paying for it. Like, yeah. Knowing knowing the market you're going into seems like it would be crucial in for making sure. that decision. And it can be like maybe your market is more niche. Like ours is mainstream. So we just have to – we have to know that. We have to temper our, our ideas based on like is this understandable. But I think too what's interesting is in the beginning, if you hadn't made things that you had loved, for sure. this company we, wouldn't exist. Totally. So in the beginning, I think maybe you have to make something yeah. that reflects you. And then as you get a bigger audience and you know your audience better – then you can start catering yeah, to them. Yeah, you give the people what you want. I, I mean, all of that said, like we're still we're still coming up with the overarching concepts and like this is what's inspiring us right now. It's more of just like honoring the fact that someone else has input at the end of it, right. you know, and just like making sure that that's not excluded in the process. Yeah, it's it's like service. Yeah. So because you do have such a creative job, do you feel the need to be creative in off hours? Yeah, I don't – I definitely was a lot more creative 
when I didn't have a job like what I have now, like I, you know, I would do like photography or make things or be like, I'm going to tie dye this weekend. Or I, I definitely don't do that. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty busy. And right. I use my brain. You know, I've I've realized, especially lately, you got a lot of jobs right now. I have a lot of jobs, and they all. It's like you're using your brain, and you forget because it's not like when your legs get tired from running. Your brain, like it wouldn't feel like a release to me to be like I'm going to be creative now. Like I feel like it's the opposite. Like I'm going to lay still. I think the closest thing to something creative is like I like to cook but it's more just because there's something like meditative about it because you're just focusing on the cooking but yeah I think I exhaust most of my creativity for my professional endeavors but that's I feel lucky I mean yeah I I think it's lucky there's some people that I think have a really interesting take and they're like I don't want to do a creative industry because I feel like if I go toward that then this isn't my release anymore which is totally fair totally fair it's just you you brought up an interesting thing when you did your podcast, which I'd like mm. to give a shout out to. <laughs> Jen Gotch is okay sometimes, where you talked about how when you were looking for your perfect job, you couldn't think of doing something that didn't reflect who yeah. you are. And I've yeah. always felt similarly to that. But yeah. it's just a different take. Yeah. Not everyone feels that way. And I think like – but I think if you are the type of person that does, when you can find a job where your creative strengths and your passions overlap – and you get paid for it. For me personally, I can imagine turning your nose up at that because like we're expected to make money. Right. But I know a lot of people that, you know, photographers that were like true like fine art photographers, but were able to have a commercial photography career and it killed them because they felt their art was being tampered with, right. you know? And so I think it has to do with who you are as a person. For me, I think I'm just as passionate about like having a career as I am creating art of whatever type so it's like it feels great that I got the opportunity to marry that up but that is the kind of marriage I can get yeah. behind <laughs> exactly <laughs> the only one let's never get divorced from that one unless I, we want to I agree <laughs> Liz also I, I put out the question to Liz, like ask and then Liz <laughs> just came with like seven Liz, questions Liz had a couple is questions is Liz your mom <laughs> no she isn't she's a good friend of mine from okay. high school but she she was like very very curious about you because she's been a fan for a long time oh that's nice it's so cool that I'm like friends with you now. <laughs> I feel semi-famous. It's cool that we're best friends and we yeah. live together now. I love it. I, and I'm <laughs> co-parenting your dog and your cat. It feels great. So she wants to know what your favorite creative spaces in LA are. Museums, restaurants, mm. etc. Question mark. For sure the Rose Bowl flea market is like where I find the most inspiration. And I also – it's just something I usually go – it's once a month. I 90% of the time go by myself it's like early in the morning and it's just like a full sensory thing and that's probably the one place that I actively go to like feel fulfilled and inspired you know because you'll see something and be like oh my god I had that toy yeah or like <laughs> I'll just like from a product design standpoint it's like oh that's such a cool idea or like that's a that would be a funny phrase for a t-shirt or you know, so it's like that plus I just like as you can see by the shelves, it's like I just love like stuff and yeah. like objects and You love things with personality. Yeah. yeah. And I like like novelty stuff and so I think it's just but you should definitely go. It's really and you can get I mean, clothes are very it's the opposite of fast fashion. It's like the slowest, <laughs> but it's still like very affordable. So Hey, I'm down for it. So I wanted to talk to you about fear of failure. Yeah. Because I think that is that has been my that and perfectionism have been my Achilles yeah. heel in actually getting stuff out there and like yeah. putting the work into the world that I want to. Yeah. How do you get over that? For me personally, I think it's twofold. I think it's like if I'm too naive to like understand what the potential failure is, that helps me a lot. Like if I'm I mean, like, even with the podcast, for instance, like, I don't think I – at one point, Serena had said something to me about it failing, like, not in a – it's failing, but, like, in the very early stages. And right. I was like, oh, I hadn't even really considered it. And then I didn't dig any deeper. I was like, what are the ways? Like, I was actually – the other day, it's like I'm writing this book and I – was looking for a book on Amazon and then it was like the reviews and I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, oh my God, like this is on a national scale. Like a book reviewer could be like, this person is 
stupid or something. You know what I mean? And and they I was would just be like, so stupid if they, they wrote would that. be stupid. If you you're stupid. <laughs> um, but I think I think it's like just a not entertaining that. But then I also think the thing that has kept me the most from that fear of failure is like when I'm passionate about something. It's not an issue. Not negotiable. It's like, if it's a true passion of mine, there's no deterrent. Zero. Like it's going to happen and it doesn't matter what the risk is, you know? And, and I think that's one of the ways I can clearly tell that I'm passionate about something when I'm like, I mean, sometimes it's almost flagrant. Like I should, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, so I need an agent and a manager because I'll just be like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really good point because if you can focus on the passion that you have for something versus the adversity or the fear that you feel is wrapped up in something, then you know that you're on the right track. Yeah. You know? There's always going to be fear with doing anything. For sure. But, but I think if you're riddled with fear, then you have to pay attention to that. Right. I think a lot of times, uh, even with this, this little yeah. this little creation I'm putting out there, I think a lot of the fear that I had in the beginning was founded because I wasn't prepared. I was yeah. just like not g giving it the care that I would give to a show that I was just producing. Yeah. You know, I was just like, well, I'll just put it out there. But I didn't have an idea that was actually useful. Yeah. I, fear is not – I. It's I don't think teacher. it's something to be avoided, you know, like I think there's, listen, there's, there were probably times, like I'm saying that I could have used more fear than I had, but I do think like manageable fear is, a, could be an indicator of something real. It's just the same as like me being afraid I'm going to be murdered all the time is probably unfounded. But like, if it's like, I'm walking through a dark alley and I hear footsteps behind me, then that's like a fear that is there to help me. Yeah, and it's, so it's reasonable. It probably has to do with like identifying the difference between like just an anxiety that has nothing to do with anything or like a fear that's actually something you need to pay attention to. Yeah, it's a difference between intuition and um, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that creativity has a lot to do with the inner child. Mm. And I think mm. about five-year-old Lauren a lot mm. and, you know, trying to do her proud. <laughs> <laughs> so if – five-year-old Jen or whatever Jen mm. you think of as mm. your inner child mm. was standing in front of you right now and looking at you and mm. all the things you're doing. Mm. Book. Yeah. You have an, an amazing podcast. You have an incredible business. You've affected so many people positively with your creativity. What do you think she would say to you and why? That's a good question. You know, I don't even – I don't know that I've even thought about an inner child or what that is. I mean, I – I mean, I feel like she'd probably be super excited. <laughs> I know she didn't know what she wanted to do. I definitely thought I wanted to be a waitress for like the first eight years of my life. But I think, you know, I fantasize a lot about, man, if I had only known what my strengths were at that, you know, like didn't doesn't mean that I would need to get into be an author at age eight, but like at five or whatever, like being able to it'd be cool if there was like a piece of paper you could give your parents and be like, just FYI, these are the things I'm good at. These are the things I'm bad at. You won't find it out maybe ever. <laughs> but if you could just like point me in the right direction, yeah. you know, so I, I feel like she would probably just be like, that's really cool. But I kind of wish you were a waitress, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds okay too. Yeah. You failed. You, you were for a minute. You failed miserably. <laughs> But, like, that seems cool that you got to, like, express it. And I also feel like I'm still in – I mean, I'm not the most mature person on the planet, so I'm probably still very connected to my Yeah, your trash can dances, self. I yeah. feel like, are your inner yeah, child yeah, yeah. My mom out. said I used to do – she had said something about it the other day because she was like, you used to do stuff like that a lot as a kid. You know, she, she was talking about me as a kid versus me as a teenager versus me now. And what did she say? Well, she was just like, as a kid, you were so, like, liberated. Like, you just – you would – you know, they'd be having dinner and I would like pull everyone into a room and like do a whole dance performance. And I was like, not a good dancer or, you know, and, and then she's like, and like most kids, you know, you get into like middle school, high school, and then you start like really worrying about like how you look and what other people think. And, you know, she's like, you really kind of like went into yourself and it was hard to see because you were so free. And then she's like, now, strangely, you're in your 40s and you're just like putting it all out there, you know. So, I mean, I think 
and I know why, because it's like you just get to a point where you're like, I'm never going to make everybody happy and like whatever. Well, you got back to her. Yeah. I do think in a way, yeah. I think, but in a in a way that's not oblivious, in a way mm-hmm. that's like, I understand what's going on it's and intentional. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I care what people think, but not enough to stop me from doing something I want to do. Right. Yeah. I've, actually, I was thinking about that thing with the waitress too, because I usually ask people what they want to be when they grow up. Mm-hmm. I happen to know that you did want to be yeah. a waitress and yeah. you did fulfill that dream <laughs> at 14, was it? Um, but I do think that there's something interesting in that because – there's something similar to what you're doing now that was connected to that dream of waitressing, yeah. which is I think you serve people. For sure. You're in the business of service and yeah. you create things to help people be happy. Yeah. Ask people what they want and give joy. it to them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think in that way, your five-year-old would be really excited that you've become a waitress on a much grander yeah. scale. Yeah. We're just giving her so much credit for being so – I'm just thinking like she wasn't that smart <laughs> to, to know that, but – Yes, we'll pretend that I she's think she's super brilliant. Smart. And I think you're brilliant. <laughs> nice. And I want to thank you for being with me. Of course. I'm and glad we got to do this. Me too. I just admire you with everything that I am. Yeah. And I really appreciate you and look up to you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to my first guest, Jen Gotch. She is every bit as amazing as she seems. And I feel so blessed that she shared her insights on this show. For more info on Jen, check her out on Instagram at Jen Gotch and check out Bandeau at shopbandeau and at bandeau.com. Now for the thank yous to the creatives who helped make this show happen. To Liz Full, my dear friend who wrote, played, and produced the incredible theme music of this show, thank you. She is incredibly talented. Hire her for all your music needs and follow her at Liz Full. To Annika Lada, who made this cover art, which is honestly some of the most compelling podcast art I've ever seen. For your tireless efforts and incredible talent, thank you. You can follow her at HearZosia, H-E-A-R-Z-O-S-I-A. And it's really cool because she's also a musician, so she's one of those dual creatives. To Ashley Daniels, thank you for all your incredible guidance and expertise throughout this process. You can follow her at Ashley Daniels. To Juliette Weber, my beautiful sister and co-producer, thank you for your creative help and support all the way through. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for believing in me and for not letting me give up on myself even when I really wanted to, for telling me that the world needs my voice. Everyone needs a Juliet, and I appreciate you more than words can say. And most importantly to you, the listener, thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of Unleash Your Inner Creative. Without you listening, there is no show and there is no creative community slash tribe. I appreciate your support and I hope you will let me know how I can support you. I believe in you and I love you more than words can say. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. That's how we'll grow and that's how we'll keep getting more incredible creatives to add to our tribe. And let me know what you think by reaching out to me on any social platform. I'm at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative. This is your show, and if you have any thoughts about it, I want to hear them. Now get out there and unleash your inner creative. The world needs your light. Talk with you next week.